Yo, 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 welcome to Victory Church. How you doing this morning? Good to see you. My name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this incredible church. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to say welcome. Thank you for sharing your Sunday morning with us. Look, I got to celebrate for a second. We were looking, obviously Easter Sunday was awesome and just what God's been doing. I don't know how many people know this. We are 12 weeks old. You check that out? 12 weeks. We are three months old. You don't expect much out of, of, out of three-month-old. You know what I mean? They just kind of got to sit there and not cry and drink a bottle, right? They don't expect much out of them. But in 12 weeks, check this out, 25 people have either committed their life to Christ or recommitted their life to Christ. Come on. We got to give God a hand for that. 25 people. And then today, as, as Malcolm said, we'll be able to baptize five people. And then who knows, some of you might get the Holy Ghost throughout the service and decide you want to get baptized. I'm just kidding. Y'all, half of y'all are like, we got to go. He's talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, but, but as Malcolm said, we're just so excited that you're here. Excited that you want to be a part. If you are interested in being more plugged into victory, go check out Growth Track. I had to look over at Andrew. I said, he's funny today. Malcolm's funny today. He came out with the humor today. Um, so do me a favor. If you got your Bibles, open up to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you didn't bring your Bible, no big deal. We'll have it on the screen. You'll be able to follow along with it and, and stay with us. We are Bible preaching, Bible believing church. And so 1 Kings chapter 19. As you're turning there, let me just kind of highlight real quick what we're doing. As Malcolm said, we are in a series called Greater Things. When Darla and I about two years ago knew that the Lord was calling us to come and plant a church, we were what I would consider living a good life. And I've talked a little bit about this before over the past few weeks, but we were living a good life. There was nothing wrong with our life. Our kids were in a good school. We had a good job, you know, good friends, the whole deal. And we kind of felt like God calling us to something greater. And we didn't really know what that was. You know, we just knew that there was something inside of us that wanted more. And we kind of started the process. And I'm going to kind of preach on the process today, so it's going to be pretty interesting. But as we went from good greater, what ended up happening to me is I kind of got bit by the greater bug. <laughs> and I was like, man, if this is what it's like to live for God, to just walk in crazy faith and to see great things and to go out of mundane things into incredible things, I want to always live like this. And so I just kind of got into a place where I was like, God, I'm always looking for the greater thing. And I just felt God telling us that this is what's going to happen to our church, that we're about to get into something greater. And listen, Yes, I hope it's the church. I hope the church grows. I hope we get to impact the community. I hope we change lives, all that. But it's not about the church. God will build his church. Listen, I'm talking about you as an individual. I'm talking about your household, your marriage, your kids, your job, your finances, your faith. That's what I'm talking about moving from good to great. Amen, church? Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, he said, look, whoever believes in me, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, number one. They will serve. They will love. They will pray. They, they, will, they will preach the gospel. They will do the works I've been doing, and they will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Last Sunday, we preached about the pattern of resurrection, and the fact that Jesus has gone from earth to heaven means that now this promise is about to be fulfilled, that we will do even greater things. You believe that, church? We are going to do even greater things. You know, this could be a controversial verse. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Greater things than Jesus, right? Jesus healed the blind, and he, he caused the, the lame to walk. And we talked last Sunday about how he resurrected from the dead. And you want me to do greater things than that? 
Like, like what does that even look like, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I've been wanting to do something great my entire life. I've always wanted to be a part of something great, something world-changing, something incredible. I always wanted to be a part of something great. But I often get overwhelmed by very simple daily tasks. Like, how am I going to be greater than Jesus when I get overwhelmed by the laundry? Right? It's like, I'm going to change the world. But, man, that's too much laundry, darling. You're going to have to break that up. I can't fold all of that today. Like, you know, I'm trying to do greater things. Jesus had all this patience with people. And, you know, he loved those even while they were crucifying him. And I want to do greater things than that. And I get mad on I-24. But I'm supposed to do greater things? I can't cook. I don't even know if I can change oil. But I'm supposed to do greater things than Jesus? Come on. It, it becomes difficult when, when I get overwhelmed by daily obstacles, it's really hard for me to see myself climbing Mount Greatness. You know what I mean? Regardless, I get to a place where I know there's something more for my life, and yet I settle for less. There's a moment where I know I want to change, but I don't know where to start. And so I want to give you a thought this morning that will propel this series, that what if God is not calling you to be great? What if he is calling out of you the greatness that is already in you? I believe there are three categories that our lives tend to fall in. There's first, good enough, okay? So you got the kind of the good enough. Good enough would be uh, lower than your expectations. You've heard people say this when they go, hey, man, how's your job? Uh, it's okay. It's all right. It's good enough, right? You know, it, or here's, here's probably kind of the normal statement. It pays the bills, right? You know, or, or hey, how's your relationship going? Uh, it's okay. It's all right. It, it's good enough. How, how are your finances? Uh, good enough. How's your walk with the Lord? Uh, it's, it's okay. It's okay. So you got that good enough level, right? It's, it's below our expectations. Then you got the American dream, okay? This, this is what we would call uh, unrealistic expectations, right? I, I'm in a relationship and I want to be like that, that guy and girl in the notebook movie where he like stands out in the middle of the road and risks his life for me, right? That's the relationship I'm looking for. You know, I, I want a job where all I got to do is sharpen pencils and I get $1.2 million a year. You know, we kind of get in this mindset of like the American dream. So we got, we got false expectations and then we have lower than our expectations and somewhere in between our life tends to fall either in the middle or, or most of us actually settle for good enough because we fear the failure of trying to pursue more. And I believe there's a third way. And it doesn't fall here. It doesn't fall over here. And it, and it certainly doesn't fall over here. It, it's, it's its own category. And it's greater. That's what it is. If good enough is below your expectations and the American dream is unrealistic expectations, then greater exceeds your expectations. And here's why God's greater for you will always exceed your expectations. is because you can't expect that that you don't know is already in you. You can't expect God to do the things that he wants to do in you. Watch this, because you aren't capable of doing them without him. 
The word says that his understanding is beyond yours. So for us to ever think that we could sit in a chair, grab a pen and paper, and write down what our perfect life would be, that's why I don't ask people things like, where do you want to be in five years? What's your goal? Well, um, here's what I know. Your goal probably won't be able to exceed God's goal for your life. So instead of trying to figure out what you're good at, pray and seek God's greater for your life, right? Because that's what it is. It's not the American dream. It's not good enough. We have to quit settling for good and be able to grasp great. But you can't grasp great until you let go of good. So 1 Kings chapter 19, this entire series, we're going to follow a man by the name of Elijah, E-L-I-S-H-A. He has a mentor by the name of Elijah with the J, so don't get them confused because we'll be preaching about both of them for a little bit. But we're going to literally follow. We're going to let the Bible show us because Elijah goes from good to great. And we're going to watch how he gets from good to great. And we're going to be able to take his principles and apply them to our life. And I believe that by the time this is over, it may be tomorrow, it may be six weeks, it may be three weeks, it may be tonight. I believe we're going to move from good to great as individuals, as a church. But we got to believe it. So Elijah, again, uh, 1 Kings 19, we're going to look at 19 through 21. So this is where Elijah kind of comes on the scene we got to introduce our character first before we spend the next few weeks into his life. It said, so Elijah, this is the mentor. Now, Elijah was a pretty incredible prophet. He had performed probably the most miracles in one prophet's lifetime. And I'm going to kind of walk through that a little bit more down the road in one of these sermon series, one of these sermons. But he's a big will. He's a big deal. It would be like Billy Graham coming through your place, okay? So Elijah went from there, and he found Elijah, son of Shaphat. In case any of you are pregnant, there's a name right there that you can put to your kid. Try that out. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. And Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Kind of a rhetorical thing he's got going on there. So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elijah is living a good life. When you study his father, you find out his family is wealthy, all right? When your family's rich, you kind of have the tendency to live a better life than most. So he's living a good life, all right? And here's what I love about him. He's a good leader, Notice it said he was driving the 12th pair himself, which means he wasn't up on some lawn chair, you know, drinking lemonade, having people feed him grapes and waving with leaves and telling people what to do. Like, he was out there working. He, he was a good leader. He had some money. I have to assume that he, because he drove oxen every day, he was probably buff, right? Probably had a nice tan and was looking good, so he's a good-looking guy. He's got some money. He's got a good job. He's a good leader. He's a good friend. He's got the good life. It's the good life, in the words of Kanye West, right? He's, he's living the good life. And then all of a sudden, here comes something. Here comes Elijah with an opportunity to discover greater things inside of him. Because watch this. When someone would put their cloak on you, that's their way of passing down the mantle. It's the way of passing down their anointing. So for Elijah to know that Elijah, the great prophet, sees me worthy enough to be able to take over his mantle, that's a moment where he has to say there must be something greater in me. 
What we see in these verses are three moments that Elijah says yes to. The very three moments that you and I will have to say yes to if we want to move from good to great. This whole series is going to be about us discovering the greater thing that God has for us. But before we can even do that, we have to know how we, got to, how we can get out of good to be ready to receive the great. He says yes to three things. Here's what it is. Number one is this, an uncomfortable moment. Elijah says yes to an uncomfortable moment. Elijah is in his routine, okay? When greater finds Elijah, Elijah's right in the middle of his routine. He wakes up every morning, he eats him some breakfast, he gets showered, he gets dressed, he goes out and he drives the oxen, he coughs up dust, he goes back home, he makes lunch, he eats lunch, he goes back out, he drives the oxen, he coughs up dust, he goes back home, he takes a shower, he eats dinner, he goes to bed, he wakes up, he eats breakfast, he takes a shower, he gets dressed, he goes out, he drives the oxen, he coughs up dust, he goes, has lunch, he comes back, he drives the oxen, he coughs up dust, he goes, he showers, he eats dinner, and so on. It's the routine. We don't ever get into mindless routines, do we? I wake up, I get my kids up, I make them cereal, I make their lunch, I go get dressed, I go to work, I pick up my kids, I make them more food, I let them watch TV, I do whatever I have to do around the house, I make them dinner, I put them to bed, I wake up, I wake my kids up, I feed my kids, I get them ready for school, I go to school. It's that mindless routine. Am I the only one? Good, making sure I'm preaching the right folks. And we've all been there where you just kind of get in that routine. The problem with the routine is that we can become dependent on it. I don't know about you. I get so dependent on my routine that if I get out of my routine, I'll forget something. You know, if you're one of those people that when you get ready to go, you like your wallet sets here and your keys are here. And if your keys aren't there, the whole world's freaking out, right? Like, where are my keys? I don't even know what's happening. It's a routine concept. And the more we become dependent on our routine, watch this, the more fearful we are to leave it. But I want to tell you this. Greater will always begin with an uncomfortable moment that will disrupt your routine. When God wants to take you somewhere greater, you better believe his first plan of action is to disrupt your current routine of good. And it's going to be uncomfortable. We fall into a temptation of wanting greater from God but wanting to stay comfortable. It doesn't work that way. I'll give you an example. Anybody in here married but without kids? Anybody in here married without kids? All right, here we go. Here we go. This ought to be fun. Check this out. If Megan Dallas, I'm going to use y'all real quick, okay? So let's just say Megan and Dallas are at home, and they decide they want to go see a movie, right? Or they, they say they want to go eat dinner, because once you have kids, you don't ever see movies anymore. So they want to go to dinner, and this is what happened. This is exactly their routine. Not that I have, like, cameras in their house or anything, but this is exactly their routine. Dallas looks at Megan and says, hey, you want to go out to eat? And Megan says, hey, yes. And Dallas says, let's go. And they say, okay. And they stand up, and they... And they go out to eat. That's their routine for leaving the house. When you have kids, the routine for leaving the house looks a little different, right? Let's say Darla and I wanted to go eat dinner. It would look something like this. 
Veda, where are you? Come here. Look, go get your shoes. Where are I don't know where your shoes are. You had them last, babe. Go find them. Casey Ray, would you come here, please? I need you to put on your jacket. No, no. Quit trying to eat candy. Put on your jacket. Darla, I hope you're done with your hair. We need to go. Somebody needs to make them lunch. Veda, where are your shoes? Where are your shoes? No, you can't wear that. You slept in that last night. Where? Casey Ray, Casey Ray, stop. Get off of the counter. Come here. Go brush your teeth. You haven't brushed your teeth in three weeks. Go brush your teeth. Come on. This is ridiculous. All right. All right, there we go, a jacket. All right, put this arm in. There we go. All right, there we go. Put that arm in. All right, this is Darla, by the way. She can't even get dressed. You know, all right, there we go. All right, Veda, Veda, look, if you don't put your shoes on right now, you're going to walk to the restaurant. I promise, I promise you will. I won't even take you with me. Casey, where are you, Casey? What is going on? Why is she outside, Darla? What is happening? That's the routine when you have children. This is a little bit of a counseling session for me, in case you haven't wondered. And that was just about 10% of it. Going into a season with kids is a greater season of life. It's greater, but it messes up your routine. See what I mean? When God wants to take you into something greater, (laughs) amen. Uh, We can have parent counseling together. When God takes you into something greater, it's got to mess up your routine. Because you can't stay in a routine of good and expect it to improve to greater. So that's why God said, Elijah, come on. Elijah is on this thing. Watch this, y'all. He's on this this oxen, pushing this oxen, oxen. And all he does all day is stare at rear ends. You get this? I'm sorry. I'm one of those people. I read the Bible. I am there when I read it, all right? He is looking at the butt of an ox. The whole day, he's looking at buttocks. Get it? Do you see it? Do you get a joke? <laughs> Boom. How you like that for a cheesy joke? Right, got you. <laughs> Your turn. Uh, so he's just looking at rear ends all day, just driving. Uh, and I have to assume at some point he gets so bored with it that he starts to, like, zone out a little bit, right? And he's, like, in the Bahamas, just hanging out in the ocean, and he's just driving the oxen day, and his mind is just in a whole another place. And all of a sudden, something hits his shoulders. Whew. And it wakes him up. And he sees Elijah. And he, what is this? This is what? And at that moment, he all of a sudden recognizes that there's a possibility that there's something greater than where I am. I'm in a routine and it's good. Listen, most people who get called to greater from God aren't in a horrible place. Your marriage isn't horrible. Your job isn't horrible. Your life and faith isn't horrible. But it's good. And God wants for you greater. And so he tries to call out of you the greater that he already put in you. I don't think God comes down and as you grow, he continues to improve you. I think before you were born, he placed everything you need in you. And when he puts you in moments, watch this, he puts you in boats, boats of good situations. And he puts you in in moments, in uncomfortable moments, hoping that you will step out of the good and walk on the water of greatness. You follow all the people that followed Christ. You follow all of the people who worshiped God in the Old Testament. You follow them. There was always an uncomfortable moment that shifted them out of good into great. That's where we're going, church. 
I don't know what that moment is. Don't freak out and think, oh, my God, what's he going to do to us at the end of service? It doesn't work that way. It's all individual for you. Again, I can tell you, y'all got a minute, right? We're going to go deep this morning because we're just putting life out like it is. Um, a couple years ago when we decided to plant the church, there's nothing more uncomfortable than finding out you're going to quit your job or resign your job, sell your house, and move your family to a place you've never been in your life. I was pretty uncomfortable. But this was a cool moment for me. As we were prepping for this, I started thinking, like, all right, I've, I've got these three things I'm about to give you. I'm like, I've already got the answers for them. And God told me clear as day, he said, that was yesterday's manna. You, you did answer those three things then. But now that the church has launched, that faith step is closed. Now there's something new I want to do. And I'm still trying to figure out what that is, church. What, what is it going to be that you're wanting me to do that's greater? Where, watch this, where is my uncomfortable moment? Where is it? You can always guarantee it will attack your flesh and your pride every time. Because it has to humble you before God to say, I can't do this without you. And when you say that, it unlocks great, and you can move from good to great. And watch this. Then you go, oh, my goodness, this is what living for God is like? Oh, come on. Where's my next great? Where's my next great? Where's my next great? So you got to have, you got to say yes to an uncomfortable moment. Amen? Number two, you got to say yes to an uncommon commitment. An uncommon commitment. Look what it says in verse 21 of chapter 19 when it deals with the plow that Elijah is having. So he's got the plow. Um, so I go back one. I messed you up. Verse 20. Um, it says, Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? I've lost it. Where is it? Hit it one more over. Verse. I've only given you half of verse 21. Sorry. So another half of verse 21 says this, that he took the, the oxen and slaughtered them. And then took the plow and, and set the plow on fire and then cooked the oxen and fed the oxen to people. When I read that, I was like, that's a little extreme. <laughs> you know, why, why are you so, why are you acting? That's, that's, that's a little bit excessive. Like, why do you have to, I get it. You're not vegan, right? I get it. You're, you're not gluten-free. You're not watching your macros. You're going to cook the ox and eat the ox. I understand that part. But did you really need to set the plow on fire? I mean, Again, y'all, I just try to think this through. Like, first of all, it's your mom and daddy's plow, right? Try this when you get home. Try going home and burning the car of your parents and saying, God told me I got to move on. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. You would have a red boot tie. You know what I mean? They would get you good. So, so it's just one of those things like, what is he doing? Why was that even necessary? And then I started to realize Elijah has learned something that I still need to learn, which is this. The only thing that will stop you from pursuing great is the opportunity to still run back to good. As long as you can run back to good, you won't continue to pursue great. The first step of greater is not to buy a bigger plow. It's to burn the old one. We will hold on to the plow. Watch this. The plow is whatever chains you to ordinary. All right? It's whatever's chaining you to ordinary. That's your plow. And as long as we hang on to that plow, then watch this. It'll be the good we run back to the moment great becomes uncomfortable. The moment you get uncomfortable pursuing great, as long as you've got a connection with good, you'll run back to it. You, you, well, I won't, I'll, I'll go there. All right. You all of a sudden decide 
You want to have a great relationship, a great dating relationship or a great marriage that honors God. But you want to keep people around. You know what I mean? You want to keep good people around because in case great gets uncomfortable, you can run back to good. Right? It's just kind of the principle in our mind that we don't want to fully release good because as long as good is there, then we got something to go back to when there, isn't, when there is discomfort. And what Elijah's teaching us is learn to burn it so that you don't have a choice, so that when it becomes uncomfortable, there's not another island to run to. So you have to stay and push it through. The best thing Darla and I ever could have done was resign and move because you can't do anything. This is really fun for me. I'm going to share this and bust all them out. This is what's so great about the people who moved here from Memphis is I'm like, get mad. You're going to move back three and a half hours, right? If we had planted a church 20 minutes away, they could have got mad and gone somewhere else. And now they're in the mode where it's like, look, you've burned good. And so now you have to set through this until you can find great. And so you have to dig and work because great is in there. But as long as you have the ability to run back to good, the moment it becomes too much work, you're gone. Do you know how many people have missed out on great because they were able to go back to good? And they get to a point at 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, and they look back and go, oh, I wish, I wish I would have done that. I know it was difficult then, but I wished I would have done it because who knows where I would have been today. I think it's interesting that when you're young, you learn the concept that when something's in your way of moving forward, you get rid of it. Can I tell you a story? When I was little, uh, let's just say I was eight years old. My mom, which is here, by the way, my mom. Hey, mom, love you. So glad you came in town this weekend to watch my kids. Um, that I could have a routine without that mess. Uh, my mom and dad decided they were going to be real sweet, and they were going to buy me a present called the My Buddy Doll. Y'all ever seen this? Let me show you a picture, okay? This is called the My Buddy Doll, right? Already demonic. You can already see it. Like, it ain't even right. Like, Jesus ain't nowhere in that picture. And so I was young. And they bought me this, which wasn't bad, okay? I, I can't confess to you that I liked dolls or anything, but he might have been cool at one point, you know, when I didn't have any friends or whatever. And so, but as but soon as he was cool, this movie came out. And this movie was called Chucky, okay? Don't show the picture yet. And this movie, in case you don't know, don't go rent it, um, was a movie about something really bad, getting into a doll, and the doll becoming really bad. This was the doll that they used in the movie, okay? Watch this right here. This is going to, you got, you, got, you got that for me? Look at this. What? They're like identical twins. So, obviously, now I am kind of confessing that at a young age, I obviously saw Chucky, okay? So y'all pray for me. But when that happened, all of a sudden, I couldn't be around this guy no more. Like, are you kidding me? Like, all I could think about was what if? What if I wake up one morning and I open my eyes and he's like standing over me, right? Looking at me like, hey, you know, I mean, like, what am I going to do? I was freaking out. So I lived in an apartment complex. Again, I was like eight, nine years old. And in the back of the apartment complex, there was a chain fence and then there was a bunch of woods and then there was a lake back there. And so one day, 
Because my mom and dad bought me so many toys, they never could really keep up with the toys I had, right? So one day when nobody was paying attention, I took Buddy, and we walked to the back of the apartment complex, and we jumped the fence, and we went as close as we could to the lake, and I counted to three, and I spent around like this right here, and I went, whoo, and I threw my Buddy into the lake. He's probably still there. I had to get rid of him because, again, at a young age, I have learned that when something is in my way of moving forward, the best thing I can do is to get what? Rid of it. Want to hear a real funny story? So Tim, Tim is normally with me, kind of my right-hand guy here. So Tim, we, we've been friends for years, and we were in Memphis, and I told him the story. And it just so happened that he had a My Buddy doll, okay? You can go ahead and take the picture off now. I'm starting to get a little creeped out, to be honest with you. Uh, and so one, one week he came and he gave it to me. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. You know. And so I took it home and I threw him somewhere to try to forget about him. So in this season of my life, I was getting up at about 4 in the morning and going to the gym. We had a garage at our house. And my truck was in the garage, obviously. And so what I would do is, because it was cold outside, is I would get into my truck. Or I'm sorry, into my car. It was a car. I get into my car with the garage still closed, right, and get in there, get in the warm car. Then open the garage. Then the garage light would come on. I could see in my car, all that kind of stuff. So what I didn't know is that while I was asleep, the, the woman that I married, <laughs> who I'm having second thoughts about now as I say this story, thought it would be funny to go get that doll while I was asleep and put it in the passenger seat of my car <laughs> and buckle the seat belt on the doll and turn the doll's head to be looking at me. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, after I had drinking my pre-workout, I jumped into my dark car, and I hit that garage, and I'm chilling. And as that light reveals, I looked over, and boy, boy, we had a moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> I might have been slain in the spirit. I'm not really sure, but I may have been. It was an extreme experience. Again, but it's just one of those moments, y'all, where, again, I had to get, you know where that thing went? Don't tell Tim. It went to the trash. Not even my trash can in my house. It went to a public trash can so that if he tried to come back, he couldn't find my house. You know what I mean? Those kind of things. You got to get rid of this stuff because as long as good is available, when great gets difficult, you'll want to run back to it. There's an interesting story in the Bible about a man. They don't give his name, but they call him the young, rich ruler. That's the, the Y-R-R is his name, young, rich ruler. Wouldn't you like to be referred to as that? I'm the young, rich ruler. Hey, girl. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Um, so this guy meets Jesus, and he basically says, listen, I have been doing all these things. I have followed all of your laws. da 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 What will it take for me to get into the kingdom of heaven? Again, I have done all this. He rolled out a scroll. I've done all this. What's it going to take for me to get with you up there? What's it going to take? Jesus looked at him, because Jesus was a G. And so Jesus kind of looked at him and he said, you're going to have to sell everything you got. And one of the saddest verses in the Bible says that he looked down and with a sad face, he walked away. Because he was surrounded by good and he refused to give up the good to get the great. We have to make sure, church, that we don't find ourselves in a season where we are so enamored by good that when God offers great, but with a price of sacrifice, we settle for good. So we have to say yes to an uncomfortable moment. And we have to say yes to an uncommon commitment. 
And then we have to say yes to unyielding faith. Unyielding faith. That part on verse 21 that we did have says a pretty blanket statement. I thought it's interesting. It says, then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. Isn't it interesting that it doesn't have any clue where he's going? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. He, he just left it and went, right? Because Elijah knew that regardless of where he was going or what he was doing, there was something better out there. And so he was willing to go. And watch this. As long, well, well let's put it this way. Pursuing greater isn't about knowing what to do. It's about knowing who you're following. See what I mean? He knew he was following Elijah. He didn't know where he was going to know what he was doing, but he knew he was following Elijah. We might not know what we're doing or what, this is, what, what God's calling us, what this greater thing, what is this commitment going to be, what's this uncomfortable moment going to be. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But all that matters is that you're following God. Because as you follow God, those moments will happen for you to be able to experience greater. You know what's really cool is that Jesus answered yes to these same three things. I'll prove it to you. An uncomfortable moment. I don't think you get more uncomfortable than climbing on a cross. Do you? Sacrificed his life. That was his uncomfortable moment. An uncommon commitment. He gave 30 years of his life to preparation. He gave three years of his life to ministry. He gave three days of his life to a grave, all for three hours of a purpose. That's a very uncommon commitment that I would invest that much time and that much energy into three hours of purpose. And then unyielding faith is this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His faith was, even though you don't follow me now, even though you don't worship me now, I'm going to die in advance in believing that in one day people will sit in a school in Smyrna believing and confessing the power and love of Jesus Christ. Greater is not a formula. It's a promise. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done and even greater things. I'm believing, church, for you, for me. I'm believing for us to step into something greater over the next few weeks. But here's my question. Let me go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to ask you this question together. What are you trusting God for? What are you trusting God for? There was an interesting moment for me in my prayer time when I kept counting all of the uncomfortable moments and the uncommon commitments it took to get here. You've had uncomfortable moments to be here today. You've had uncommon commitments. It's kind of fun when we celebrate 25 salvations and rededications to say it's only because a group of people made an uncommon commitment. Because if the people who are serving here every week aren't serving, that doesn't happen. Not many people showing up to me in a microphone, you know what I mean? But everybody who serves in the kids area and people who serve on the worship team and in first impressions and production and in every area, it's because of their uncommon commitment that people have been able to see a greater life in Christ. 
for you. What does that look like? I'm going to walk you through Elijah's life. I'm excited about next week because we're going to really look at the concept that the greater you're looking for is already in you. We're going to see that biblically. But I want you to spend the next seven days thinking about this. God, where is the greater that you want me to be able to move to? It's, it's, it's in me, but, but what is it? What am I trusting God for? Is it a job? Is it a relationship? Is it faith? Is it a commitment to the word? What is it? What are you trusting God for that's greater? I think it's so important for us as Christians to be living a life of expectation. And we have to be careful not to get comfortable and good and then blink and 30 years have gone by and we missed out on greater. Listen, I'm not a prosperity preacher. I used to say it like this. I don't believe God will give you a brand new car, but I believe he'll find a way to help you get gas. I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I do believe that the Bible says God takes us from glory to glory to glory. It didn't say from glory and then back down and then glory. It believes God is going to always take us to greater things. But if you don't believe it and you're not expecting it, then all you'll see is discomfort and you won't even go near it. And I know God's calling us to this, to greater things. Scout, hand me that card right there. You see it on the ground? You've already done greater things. Look at that. Fantastic. When you leave here, you're going to get this card given to you and because and, it's twofold, okay? One, I believe God's going to do something specific in every person's life. And I, I pray to God that we get to testify about what that is before this series is over from this stage. Y'all have heard me talk a little bit about just different relationships and people we... We started praying these prayers we're going to talk about, or at least I did, about two months ago. And we started to see greater things happening. Greater things happening. There's a young man, he, he works in the kids' ministry, and his job has been really rough. And we were, I was praying that and praying for him, and he told me that he walked into his job one day when nobody else would go to work. He showed up. He was mad. <laughs> he walked in. He was like, why not come to work? Nobody else came to work. And the only other person there was his boss. His boss walked up, and he said, you know what? I've been wanting to talk to you, man. I got an idea of moving you to a different uh, shift that you wanted. Greater things. I could, tell you, I could tell you all kinds of stories, but I haven't gotten permission to tell those to you. So I'm just, greater things. So, so there's a general prayer, and this is what it is. I'm going I'm to read it to you so you get an understanding. I pray for greater authority and confidence in God. We need that. Greater authority of who I am as a husband, as a wife, as a child of God. Authority and the confidence in God. I'm praying for greater clarity of my identity and watch this, my calling in God. You think you're here to go to church. God brought you here to change lives. He's just waiting for you to recognize it and to be able to start operating in the calling. God put it in you when you were born. Victory's only responsibility is to call it out of you. And when you start operating in it, 50 people saved, 100 people saved, 150 people. And you start to see the way God did it in the beginning. Because Jesus chose 12 rascals is the only word I can think of it. And he said, there's greater in you, Paul. There's greater in you, Peter. There's greater in you, Matthew. There's greater in you, Mark. And I'm going to pull it out. And we're going to start the church. 
There's greater in you right now. Some of you, you're already operating in it. Some of you never heard it before because you were raised in a household that told you you'd never be nothing. There's greater in you. And the only reason I'm breathing this morning is to tell you that. Because there was a moment where I would have told you there ain't nothing great about me. I still have, that's why the second prayer is big for me because I still doubt that there's anything great about me. But I'm learning that it ain't me. It's my Father who put it in me. And I don't have to know what I'm doing or where I'm going. I just have to know who I'm following. Amen? Greater purpose as I approach everyday task. Man, Miss Nina, why? maybe I'm supposed to be at the gym today to meet Miss Nina so that she can be a part of the church to change lives. Maybe there's a purpose in everyday task. You know what I mean? Greater joy, I love this, in knowing that I'm in the sweet spot of God's blessing. Because we are, church. I didn't tell you it'd be comfortable. I didn't tell you it'd be easy. But you're in a sweet spot. Greater influence over my marriage and my family and my friends and the people around me and the greater impact in Smyrna, Rutherford County, Nashville, and the world. This is what you're gonna pray for the next seven weeks for you, for this church, for your spouse, for your kids. And listen to me closely. If you will commit to praying this on a daily basis, I promise you, God will reveal to you where he wants to take you greater. So I don't even know what to pray. I'm telling you what to pray. You pray this, and God is going to speak to your heart. And that opportunity is going to fall right in front of you for you to get out of good and to start walking in great. Amen, church? What are you trusting him for? Lord, we thank you right now for your faithfulness. Thank you that God, when you saved me, it wasn't just about salvation, because if it was, you would have taken me straight to heaven. But God, you saved me, and then you empowered me to do your work. And God, you want greater things for me. You love me. I'm your child. You're not disappointed in me. You don't regret loving me. God, you, you died for me even when I was a sinner. And you still love me and you have a great purpose for me. And all I need to do is I need to say yes to three things, God. And like Elijah did, when I say yes to an uncomfortable moment, when I say, God, feel, feel free to disrupt my routine, I can be sure that you're going to move me into another realm. When I say yes to an uncommon commitment, Yes, I'll read my Bible. Yes, I'll pray. Yes, I'll serve. Yes, I'll talk to that person. Yes, I'll pick that person up. Yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll give to that. Yes, I'll do that. When I make that uncommon commitment, God. And those lead me to saying yes to an unyielding faith. And I walk it. I believe in it. And I see you take me from good to great. So, Lord, right now, we just lift our hands to you and we say thank you. I pray right now over everybody in this church, over myself, that, Lord, over the next few weeks, you would make it real to us, the area in our lives that you're wanting to move us into a greater season. It's already in us. You want to pull it out. Come on, God, have your way. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be willing. 
Lord, John 14, 12 said it. For whoever believes in me, whoever, Lord, I believe in you. Whoever believes in me will do the work that I've done and will do even greater things. So God, take us in to greater things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you. We lift you up. We magnify your name. God, take us into a new season and a new day and greater things. Hallelujah. Greatest thing.